Here we go. Parshas Bo. The end, or the grand finale, I should say, of the Exodus story. <clears throat> Hard to say the grand finale, you know. Exactly, you know. You know what they say about Hasidim. They say, a Hasid says, you know, this day... This is the most opportune day. I mean, this is the day everything's available. Then the next day comes and they say, but this day is for real, for real, for real. The most, I mean, every day. No, no, but this one I mean it. Right? And it's really like that. And it's true here too. The grand finale. But the last three of the plagues happen and the Jews emerge and walk out of Egypt wealthy and Sinai bound to become the uh, Jewish people for, for all time. So the Nesiva Shalom, and this is taken from two separate pieces, but the Nesiva Shalom is really questioning, and he wants to know that the concept of remembering that we went out of Egypt, I guess you'd really ask it, the entire story of the Egypt experience and the leaving Egypt, besides the fact that it takes up such a tremendous amount of our Torah, and is given such focus and prominence, but he says a couple of unusual things, particularly unusual. Firstly, there is a commandment to remember that we left Egypt. Every single day. Every single day to remember. And this idea of remembering that we left Egypt <coughs> is mentioned 50 times in the Torah. I believe it's 50 times. That, not the commandment too, the fact that we left Egypt. I believe it's mentioned 50 times. This is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And the idea that we need to do it constantly, constantly, always need to remember. In fact, if you find almost every mitzvah we do, like every uh, Shabbos, Yom Tov, any of the holidays, you always find in Kiddush, when you're making Kiddush, it says, time. it's a remembrance for the fact that we left Egypt. Everything coming back to this. Yeah, when we daven, we mention it, and we have this obligation. We put it as part of the Shema, and it's in the end, right there by Tzitzes. We mention it. Every day in the Haggadah, and we have Pesach, which is dedicated to it. So there's a tremendous amount of stress, overwhelming amount of stress, you may say. Okay. Secondly, it's so significant, in fact, that you find that Hashem, when he has a conversation with Abram Avinu, the first of our forefathers, he needs to make mention to Avram, who's never going to go to Egypt. He's never going to be part of the group. And I'm, I should say that better. He's never going to be part of the group that becomes enslaved in Egypt. But it's important that Avram know that what we have on the page, right? That he said to Avram, you've got to know, your children, your descendants, will be strangers in a strange land. They're going to be afflicted. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years. But then I'm going to exact justice on their behalf. They're going to go out wealthy. This is so important. Avram needs to know. Avram needs to know that we're going to go. Let, let the people who have to deal with the bad news deal with the bad news. Why is this so important that we have to tell Avram? <clears throat> now, as always... I'm just going to make mention because it dovetails on what we mentioned last week. The simple reason why leaving Egypt is so important and why we need to remember it so many times is because in the story of the Exodus, our emuna, our clarity in Hashem became solidified and it continues 
to be strengthened by our reconnection to that story, which was simply just two major fundamental ideas that are in that story. And again, I'm saying this is the Pashup shout, what we call the simple understanding, which we always have to know stays in place even when we begin to get into deeper interpretations. And it's simply put, in that story, Hashem displayed what He was capable of doing. Like we find that when it comes to the Ten Commandments, Hashem says, I am Hashem your God, who took you out of Egypt. And they all ask, why didn't he say, who created the whole earth? Isn't that a good reason that you should listen to me? The answer is, we didn't experience that. We experienced leaving Egypt. We saw it. Those people saw it. They gave that over to their children, and we as a people have this experience in our heritage. That is a reason why it's of extreme prominence and importance. And the second thing that we got from that story is, how much Hashem cares about us. And these are just basic, basic part of the story. We were lost among the Egyptians. We did not have a lot going for us. We had descended into a very impure place. And still Hashem said, my firstborn child, I'm coming to get you out. These fundamentals of Emunah, this clarity in who Hashem is and His relationship with us, is certainly a good enough reason for us to remember this story keep it at the front of our mind, and make sure that we constantly reconnect with the message it holds. That is for sure true. I'm not doubting that, and that is an important point, and that's why I'm mentioning it, because I don't think we should forget that, and we could have had a class on that itself. That was similar to last week's class. It's certainly true. The Nesiv Shalom, as always, though wants to see, a, a, I don't call it a deeper, but another message that might be in there, one that is not just a reference to reconnecting to something in the past, but perhaps something that has a very present message and reality to it. And therefore, he's asking these questions. What is this mitzvah to remember that we left Egypt every single day? What is so important that Hashem needs to tell Avraham that this is going, what's going to happen to the Jewish people? Okay, that's the question. And with that, we will begin to understand what the Nesiv Shalom is going to give us as food for thought. So let's remember those Pesachim, though, because he's going to reinterpret them. <clears throat> you see, I put in bold, I put in bold the three major points in the translation that the Nesiv Shalom is going to re-translate, or I should say reinterpret for us. The first thing is it says they're going to be strangers in a strange land. The second thing is they're going to be enslaved and oppressed. And the third thing is, then they're going to go free with great wealth. Says the Nesiv Shalom as follows. It is true that of course Hashem was telling Avraham about the future of the Jewish people and the fact that they would be in a place called Egypt, real Egypt, not uh, Egypt, Memphis, or whatever, Memphis, Egypt, whatever. Yeah, the pyramid. Yeah, this is like Memphis is like pride that there's some connection to Egypt. I don't know where... <coughs> Not that, but they're going to go to, and of course we're talking about the real Jewish people. However, within that exact conversation, Hashem was telling Avram something fundamental for every single Jew to know, and Hashem wasn't making a point of it because we need to hear it and remember it. What was his point? Listen to it or read along. Kach gam Besides being a national experience, for all the Jewish people that we would descend into true exile, or I should say physical exile, in the hands of the Egyptians, it's also true regarding every individual. The beginning of a person's 
individual exile. What? I'm in exile? And yet, we might think I'm just referring to the fact that we're not in Israel and we don't have the temple. He's not referring to that. No, there's an exile that you could tell an Israeli born in Israel. Okay? An exile that he's referring to is one that's relevant because this is in the Chumash. I mean, it's relevant to every Jew at all times. It's relevant to even when we had the temple. There's an exile that every individual is in the midst of. And it comes with these words, the words from the Pasuk. That's what Hashem was saying. You should know, every person is going to be in a situation of a stranger in a strange land, a land that's not theirs. What is that talking about? What's that talking about? If I'm in Israel and I have a temple, what are you talking about, Hashem? Who are we? Where were we born? That's the question. A very trivial question for today's class. What hospital were you born in? No, where were you born, right? You need to know because the security questions online, right? Nobody ever knew where to remember, but now you have to know. They demand you to dig up information you forgot about yourself so that you could prove that you're you. Anyways, I always get frantic with those questions. What's your favorite? I don't know. What was my favorite last year? I don't know. <laughs> it's very panicky. But okay. So we weren't born in the Garden of Eden. You're correct. We were not born in the Garden of Eden. And you may think the security question tells you you have to pick your hospital. Where were you born? Born in the hospital. So then what's this place? This is home sweet home. Hashem said no. Everyone needs to remember, this is not your home. I should say better. This is not your homeland. This is not where you were born. Your neshama, our soul, which is who we truly are, that which is free of our body. Now, I don't say we're not our body. We have become in partnership and become one entity. But we existed before we were here. We used to live up in Shemayim. When did Hashem create us? Up there. We lived and we were up in Shemaim, up in heaven, up with Hashem, wherever you want to call that place. Okay? And then Hashem said, all right, Nisan, it's been nice up here, but uh, you got to get going. Where am I going? Oh, Nishmas Yisrael, Yeredes Lo'elmazeh. Hashem begins by saying, it's time to become a stranger in a strange land. Where? You're going down into this world person coming into this world is descending from where they were. Because the soul of a Jew was formed, was carved from under God's holy throne. We have no idea how tremendous we are. Who we are. But the beginning of our existence began by being hewn out of the holiest place that exists, which is God's holy throne itself. These are spiritual terms. We're not going to grasp them and fully understand them, but what we're going to understand is that we come from an extremely high place. The Yoyuredes. And then we went down from there, from this high, elevated, spiritual place, to a very low place, to a lowly world, which is filled with physical desires, which is 
under the control of negative forces and that which we call the Yetzirah, our impulses or anything that drags us away from Hashem. So a person says, I, 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 am I in exile? I'm in exile. You, you didn't understand. The first thing you need to know is your life story. Isn't that a good place to start? If you want to know what your life's about, you got to know your own life story. What happens? Imagine a guy would wake up. A person would wake up with amnesia. They don't know. They wake up uh, somewhere, wash the shore on a beach, and they wake up, and they don't remember what happened to them before that. It would be very hard to identify with themselves. Who am I? They would search their whole lives. Where did I come from? How did I end up washed up on this beach? Where did I? What was I before? Who did I used to be? It's the same thing. We wake up, we're over here, and we say, oh, I guess this is us. No, there's a life before, and Hashem's making a point. That every person needs to reconnect and remember. Avram, remember. And all your children should remember after. That you actually started your life before you ever came to this world. Up in a very high place. You came down into this place. But you have to know that this place is a very low place compared to where you came from. We need to remember here. That in a certain sense. Hashem decreed upon us that we should be strangers in a strange land. For our entire lives. For our entire lives. But life... I mean, Abraham, if you just... Thank you, our physical lives. That's our entire... That's our entire... Yeah, our entire physical lives. Correct. We're never going to get out of exile. Physical lives. In other words, we're all striving. So yeah, correct. When we get taken out of exile, it should be after 120 years. That's the only way to get out of exile. Then you're hoping that you're. Uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, the answer is you're on the right track, and it's yes and no. Then the Nisim Shalom is going to give us both perspectives on this, but you're correct. What we're saying is that we're in a place that we shouldn't cozy up and call home in that type of sense. And this really has two ramifications. You know, the Messias Sharm, when you open up the Messias Sharm, which is the guidebook to life, really encourage, as I always do, everyone to get a copy and read it. Um, and if you wait around long enough, I will force you to read it and read it with you. That's what I'm slowly doing with every single individual in the community. Okay, it's just a matter of time. You're all been marked. Okay. <laughs> I'm just working my way down the list, all right? Is that you can run, but you can't hide. Eventually, we will read that together. Okay? The Messias Hashem, Path of the Just, unbelievable, art scroll translation. Just read the English. It'll change your life. Opening line of the Messias Hashem is, Yesoid achasidus v'shoyrash ha'avoidah. The root of piety, the, the core and the foundation of actually being able to serve Hashem is for a person to have clear and resonate within themselves what they are doing here. What we're doing here. Isn't that a simple question? What are we doing here? But really, to answer that simple question, you first really have to ask, how did I get here? What am I doing here? Where am I? And that's the real beginning question is, who am I and where am I? Then we could begin to ask, what are we doing here? And the first starting point is to realize that we are from a place that's very, very high. And we are visiting. We have come here on a mission, you know. Hashem sent us here. So you call it exile, but it's exile just like when they went to Egypt. That exile had a purpose. There was a purpose to that exile. This little stray away from our comfort of our home, where it's, which is where we were next to Hashem, it also has a tremendous purpose. It has a tremendous purpose and a tremendous mission to it. 
But you got to remember that that's where you're from. You came here to visit. And that's what we're going back to. And we are here, you know, the way it struck me, I said, you know, if somebody asks, you know, they ask this all the time, right? Oh, where are you going? Guy says, you know, going to uh, Hawaii. Business or pleasure? It's a big difference. Business or pleasure is a big difference. How you answer that question, right? If somebody say, you came to earth, business or pleasure? We're here on business. That's the answer. We're here on business. Now, we're very fortunate because it, our business happens to be the greatest pleasure in the world. But we're here on business. And that's a big difference. And he says, that's what Hashem was telling Avram. That when we land here, when we land on earth, that's a stranger in a strange land. It's physical, it's coarse, it's lowly. This is a foreign land to the soul. The Avdum and here we suffer the pain, the oppression, the enslavement. That's the Yetzirah Tadar Mizgaber Mizgarbi That's the fight that we feel every day. That's this world coming to try and impress upon the soul to derail itself and disconnect itself from Hashem. The problem is when we forget who we are. You know what happens? We set into Stockholm syndrome, right? And we start turning to our taskmaster and calling them dad. That's what happens when you lose, you forget where you come from. You start thinking the guy who kidnapped you is taking care of you. There's an actual psychological thing that happens, right? I'm afraid to say that we may suffer slightly from it ourselves. We have to remember that the world is coming in and it's trying to take us away from that which we came here to do. And that doesn't mean that we're going to, we're trying to divorce ourselves from physical experiences and pleasures. No! We do them and we do them the right way so that they don't drag us down by remembering that we're here on business. Business is the greatest pleasure. And that's the secret here. There's a remarkable point. A remarkable point. I happen to be this topic is like overwhelming to even begin to talk about because it's, 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 it's everything. It's everything we are. But one of the great revelations that the Messiah Shasharm has right in the beginning is born out of when we reconnect to the fact that we are a soul that comes from a very high place. And he says very simply, he says, when a person appreciates how great they truly are, where they really come from, what they've really experienced before they've landed here, they will also understand that no matter how much physical experience and pleasure we throw at ourselves to satisfy that thirst that we have, that thirst comes from a combination of, yes, the body, but also the soul, which is obviously the engine behind the whole body. So no matter how much we throw at it, the neshama is never going to be satisfied. It's never going to quiet down and say, okay, wow, you know what? That was a good stake. I think I'm happy. I think we're done. I feel content in the deepest of ways. And why not? Why can't we get that? He says, very simple. He says, we think we can. That's why we run after it. He said, because we don't, we've forgotten who we are. He said, if we remember that we are a neshama, a soul that comes literally from Hashem's palace, literally from under His throne of glory, the most, perhaps the most divine being that exists, other than Hashem, is perhaps ourselves. 
He says it's like a parable. We've mentioned this parable before. This pauper, impoverished person, for some reason, beats me to backstory. I'm sure there's a great movie about it. Somehow manages to marry the princess. Okay? Manages to marry the princess. Takes her back to his hovel, his little hut, and says, Honey, oh, tonight I'm going to cook you a supper. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to hold nothing back. And he goes into his little two-foot kitchen, which is falling apart. And he opens up his little cupboard and he takes out not just half a cup of beans like he usually has. Can't afford more than that. No, it's his wife. Princess. The whole bag of beans. No, no bag. And today, it's fresh potatoes. Not the moldy potatoes. Today, for her, fresh potatoes. And he puts the potatoes and the beans in the pot. He stirs it up and he's like salivating. And this is the greatest bean potatoes too he's ever seen his whole life. And he comes out, honey, I made you the dish. This is the honeymoon dish. Here it is. And she looks at it and starts gagging. She says, I, I, I can't eat that. No, I can't even eat that. Can you actually get that out of the room? I, I don't understand. I brought you the best thing I've ever... I've never seen something this good. She said, let me tell you something. I come from the palace. My entire life, I've tasted delicacies that you cannot wrap your mind around. I've only tasted of the finest things that this entire land has to offer. I'm royalty. I would not be able to eat that without choking. And let me tell you something. Don't go back into the kitchen to make me another dish. There is nothing you have in this house that is ever going to be up to the royal palace. If you want, you could come with me and we'll go back to the palace and then I could give you supper and we could have a good time. But in this little hut, there is nothing that's going to be up to snuff. And the Mesut Sharm says, this is the truth about ourselves. We come to this world and we have a body and the body is very physical and it's drawn, 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 drawn to all the different things. But then we make a mistake and we think that we're going to find deep satisfaction. The problem is we forgot that we are royalty. We are from the palace of Hashem. We have tasted things that this world cannot compare to. Things that will never ever be compared to no matter what type of experience we design for ourselves. If it's not spiritual, if it's not does not have the element of Hashem, of that connection and that delight and bliss of what it means to connect with the thing that we used to feel when we were in the palace, it's not going to be good enough. But that comes from remember, remembering that we are royalty. We are strangers here. This is not home. We're visiting on business. But that being the case, if we remember that, we also know that Hashem sent us here for a reason. Because what we can achieve while on this visit, what we can achieve on this business trip, is something that we cannot even imagine. It's something that is so much greater than anything we ever had before we came here. So it's the land of opportunity, but you got to take the opportunity to have the opportunity. I thought of a Mushle. It's, uh, I would say it's a, a new spin on a Chafetz Chaim mushal that exists. Uh, I think it might sound familiar to you to the original. This is the new spin. A guy, every one of us will imagine it with ourselves. We work for a company 
and the CEO of the company comes in and says, you know, do me a favor. Right now, we have a fellow in Orlando who's willing to pour a tremendous amount of money into this company. We're about to sign a contract, future business with them. Right now, our company is where it is, but this business deal and the amount of money it's going to bring in is going to catapult us to an entirely different league. We, The company will become a multi-billion dollar company and you as a director will become a millionaire, okay? But we just need you, I need you to do this very important thing. This is a quick job, okay? You're going to fly out today, this morning, to Orlando. You're going to go have lunch with this fellow. Here's the, here's the contracts. Make sure he signs these contracts by the end of lunch. This evening, we'll have a flight back. We'll celebrate our newfound wealth upon your arrival back in Memphis. You got it? Okay. Pack your little duffel. All right. So you go home. It's amazing. Wow. The opportunity, the trust they had in you doing this. And you can already imagine. You're already imagining coming back this evening. Oh, my goodness. Right? Oh, my goodness. This is a whole new life that's opening up right now. So you get on the flight and you fly, fly first class, it's an important trip. You get off at the airport in Orlando. <clears throat> okay. Is that a shuttle to Disney World? A shuttle? My gosh. I was a kid. I've never been to Disney World. I can't believe. Look at that. Mickey Mouse, Boobow, guy. How much does the show cost? Oh, yeah, I can afford that. Yeah, great. You pay the money, you hop on the shuttle, they take you to Disney. Oh, you get me now. You're out there. I can't believe I'm here. This is the best time of my life. You're in the theme park. You're getting all your selfies with Mickey and Goofy and Donald Duck, right? You're buying the little Mickey ears. You got the Disney t-shirt on. You got the little slurpy cup, right? You know, you got the little picture of you on the roller coaster. Right, with everybody else, right? You got, oh, so you have the time of your life. Ah, you've never had such a time. Oh, your alarm goes, flight back. You rush back to the airport, hop on, and you're just like, this was an incredible trip. Oh, I've never had a trip like this, right? Sitting there with all your Mickey gear. So psyched you can't wait to tell your family, right? Get off the, the plane, walk into the terminal, and there's the CEO, and he makes eye contact with you, and he goes, Contract, yeah. How embarrassing are those Mickey ears at that moment? You slowly take them off sheepishly. They get the contract. The business trip. When we land in Orlando, this is Orlando, my friends. We came here to get the contract signed. We came here to change our future forever. To become millionaires, billionaires, be wealthy beyond their dreams. We came here to have a much greater time than that. But you know what? You don't even have to give up Orlando. Just make sure you go to lunch with the guy first. Get the contract signed. You could still go to Disney World by the end of the day. You may be there less time. You may go on a few lesser rides. But then when you fly back and you got your Mickey ears into this, and he goes, contract, and you go, 
It's in the bag. Then you come back wealthy. I don't know if we're ready to not be in Disney World at all. Okay? That's not the question. The question is how much do we focus and how much can we grab of the other treasure and the wealth that is here and that we came here for. We don't want to show back up and only have our Mickey merchandise to show for our trip to Orlando. All right? However, Hashem sent us here because He knew that this is a land of tremendous wealth. And it actually doesn't take that much to become very, very wealthy here. Because the opportunities are literally lying in the streets. Look at us sitting here today. It's just a random Tuesday. There's nothing special except what we're doing right now is worth billions of dollars. Right now, we are getting the contract signed. Right now, there is success happening in our business trip here into this world. Why? Because we remembered for a little bit that we are something beyond this world, that we come from a higher place and we are striving for something higher, that our thirst will not be quenched no matter how many Slurpees we have. It's not going to be that easy, but it's also not going to be that cheap. It's not going to be that low of an experience. We are destined for something much better than bean potato soup. If we want to take it. Because we're royalty. I like to call this world, I hope this is not a political statement, but I call this world a, the experiences that this world tries to lure us with are the cheap Chinese knockoff of the real deal. I mean, we feel something because we know we're looking for something. And then we get, we by accident get the Gucci bag with the upside down G, right? From Chinatown. And we find out too late, that, oh, that was a knockoff. That, was, that wasn't worth five bucks, right? You got a Gucci bag, get the real Gucci bag. It's the same thing. We're looking for something. There's a fulfillment, a happiness, a real pleasure, an experience that exists. But we got to remember where it's actually found and what is distracting us and making us end up in inferior stuff that's not worthwhile. Again, we need a tremendous amount of wonderful times in physical life. That's not what this is about. But it's about the more that we breathe and breathe this vibrancy of a deeper existence, of a royalty, the royal palette into it all, then we begin to experience something far, far greater. If we remember that this is not home, this is not dad, we have a father who's greater than this, we have a home that's greater than this, and we're here as an investment, then we keep ourselves on track. And that, the Ramchal says, is the everything to becoming something. The everything to becoming something is remembering what we're here for. Well, yeah, sure. I, I, I do a lot of study on uh, and listening to a lot of near-death experience groups. There's the IMs group. There's 13 million people with that near-death experience. And when they go have these, and regardless of the religion, it's 80% have the same experience. And they go to the light. They get a life review. They meet their God. They get in the presence of God. And it's an unbelievable amount of love. And there's an instant download of information about how the universe works and it's all mathematical and God's got everything right where it needs to be and how it's supposed to be and 
they you they when they get the information, it's not like you're being taught. It's like, oh, I forgot. I always knew. And they say if if we kept this information with us, we would be so preoccupied with that of heavenly things that we would miss our purpose here, which is for our soul to grow and learn about love and service to others and that we're all one and that all of us here on earth are connected and that everyone's an individual cell and it's not that the liver if you're you know if you're the liver you're not better than the heart it takes all of us to make up this completeness and what? Of, of love of God. Very mm-hmm. well, I'll, I'll like tell I you. I six hours last night listening to, to people's stories. I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of listening, and I just sob and cry because the more I listen, the more I'm like, I miss you so much. There's God, a feel, but I know that you have me here. I'm ready to go when you want me to go. But let's do whatever my purpose is. Let's you know, let's get the show on the road. There, exactly. There is a and there is a grand purpose. You're bringing up a good point, which is that we need to also remember that the exile experience, the fact that we feel distance or that there are things challenging us, that's not an accident. It's not like oh, the Egyptians came and they took over us. The Egyptians themselves were because Hashem allowed them to take over, and this is general true of everything, by the way. It's relevant to every experience we have in life. It only happens with the green light from Hashem, which means it's part of the purpose. And this business trip, this purposeful mission that we came into this earth to accomplish, those challenges are not an accident or incidental. They are part of the entire purpose, is to stand up to it. But it's when we view them as that as part of a bigger picture and part of a greater mission and part of the process where we exert ourselves to reconnect and to grow, like you said. And the fact is, you're not just a floating soul here, but you've been given a partner, which is a body. And if you haven't noticed, sometimes the body is way off course. And that's part of it. You know, somebody once compared it to like you've been asked to train. You've got your, they give you a pet like elephant. and like, okay, tame this thing. You know, it's a bear. You're like, tame this thing. And sometimes that's what it feels like. But it's it's our partner in crime for better or for worse. But ultimately it's for better because that is the greatness of what we do. Let's remind ourselves of the Berdichever's muscle that when he said, you and I all talk English, it's not impressive, we speak English. But if you get a parrot to, to recite Shakespeare, it makes the world go crazy. And then YouTube has, you know, 50 million views. But while I could say Shakespeare, no one's watching me. It's just because, of course, you could say Shakespeare, but a parrot is the same thing with all of our accomplishments here. That everything we do is like taking ingredients that don't seem to fit with spirituality and don't connect. And we're connecting them and we're connecting ourselves. We're accomplishing this. We should have 50 million hits on YouTube. The only reason we don't is because they don't realize how great we are. That's why. But one day, one day, mark my words, YouTube It'll be, it'll exist. 50 million hits for every spiritual thing that, that we do. But this is the truth. And this is what he concludes with, which is what was the end of what Hashem said to Abram? Yes, they'll be enslaved. Yes, they'll be in a land that's not theirs. And they need to remember that. And what's the grand finale? Just like in the national 
uh, redemption that we had. Kach gam begulas aprat, so too with the individual redemption. Kasher Yehudi over b'shalom as agolas. When a Jew holds strong through this exile, this visit in a land that's not theirs, umeshaber zakisup imatmeim, and he fights back against that which tempts to sway him away from God. Miskayim boy, then it is fulfilled in their lives and hopefully in our lives. The the last part that God told Avram, the Achrechein Yetsu Birchushkadal. After that experience, they're going to march out with profound wealth. Shezoiche, that every one of us, when we remember and we put in our effort to fight the good fight and to connect. And to tap into the true treasure which exists in this world, which is the spirituality that's in all the physicality, then we will merit Then we will merit to have fulfilled the mission and purpose for which we descended into this world. And then we will be those perfect beings that have successfully gone through the trip gone through and accomplished everything that we were made to accomplish. And we realize, and, and Abby asked, is this only mean when we check out of life? Yes, and one tremendous element, it means when we check out, when we go back home, and Hashem says, how did we do? And we'll be fortunate to be able to say, we did well. We held on. And by the way, well doesn't mean that it's going to look glamorous, but we're going to be able to say, we put up the good fight. We had these experiences. When we were down and out, we got back up. We saw on a good Tuesday better. Wednesday was a little bit worse. Thursday was even worse. You know, but Tuesday comes back again. And you know, whatever. And Shabbos, we connected a little bit, five minutes each, whatever we'll be able to say to Hashem, what we did on this business trip. And that will be the greatness that we accomplish. And Hashem will say, yeah, well, you know what? That was exactly why I sent you into the world. And then at that moment, you'll know all the details. Why that person was religious their whole life, and that person got education, and this person didn't, and this person knew nobody from, and this person knew one person. And that, all those ingredients will all fit, because they'll say, oh, because that was exactly for my mission. Uh, so that person was born religious, had Jewish education, and their mission was exactly that. Oh, so that makes sense. They needed those tools. And I... My mission was this, and I was given the exact tools to do that. And I did my part, they did theirs, and we'll all be able to be up there, hopefully dancing together, celebrating, saying, we did it, we, we remembered, we didn't lose ourselves, we didn't end up calling exile home, we didn't end up calling our taskmaster dead. We remembered who, who, who we are and how royal we are, and we didn't stuff ourselves on cheap, knockoff delights in place of connecting with you, Hashem, and now we've come back and we're truly wealthy for having taken this trip. And although that's true on a life cycle sense, the Nesiv Shalom says in those next paragraphs I put there, that went in second. But we need to remember what was his question. We also need to remember getting out of Egypt every day. And he says, yes, because a person can actually free themselves every single day. Another step. Another, we can live in this life. You know what Moshe Cabrino said? He said, how dark and disappointing the world is for those who are immersed in it. But how filled with light and delightful it is for those who are above it. What does that mean? It means this world is filled with beauty and stunning, amazing experiences. Well, distractions, that's exactly the distinction, right? If we get immersed in it, meaning we're lost, we forget about everything else, 
then we find that it, it's very disappointing and we're forced to at 50 buy ourselves a convertible and drive around trying to remake our life, you know. That's what we're forced Fill to do. That Fill that hole. Because you, you, we threw everything into that and then we came up empty. But if we stay a drop above it, which means that we keep it in context and we still have the same barbecue experience, but with that full picture, with that reconnecting, using it all to remember our purpose and to keep our mission going and to gain the true wealth that's here, then it's filled with light. All of life feels delightful, feels amazing. When we're using the Torah, the mitzvahs, and that connection to Hashem to take advantage. And that's what he says. You remember it every day because a Jew needs to remember every day that today I have a mission to redeem myself. To redeem myself. I'm behind enemy lines in a certain way. But that's a sense. You don't have to be. You could be in the exact same room and you could be captured or you could be free. And the question is, did we free ourselves so that we can sit here as free people and love all that's in this world? Or are we still under the boot and under the thumb of that which is oppressing us and our soul is still saying, I am choking. This is not home. I cannot breathe this air. What is this potato stew? I need something better. So we can be in the exact same position, but we can have two different experiences. And that's what he says. You have to remember every day to redeem yourself and remember every day that Hashem gives you the power and the ability to find redemption every day. It is within our ability to find redemption. But we have to remember, Rebbe Chanan is an unbelievable story. Rebbe Chanan Wasserman. Somebody just, Rabbi Finkelstein just told me, he heard me say Rebbe Chanan Wasserman, he told me that Rebbe Chanan Wasserman apparently, back in the day, was once in Memphis. Is this true? That's what he said. He said though, that he did, he did not make money. I don't know what the story was. It sounds like he came to visit somebody specific. I don't know. But I don't know if he came to get money or not. In this story, he came from Europe to fundraise. But today he said to me, oh, he was in Europe. He was, he was in Memphis. No, it's, I didn't know that. But there you go, a little Memphis connection there. Obviously, Memphis is responsible for every great event that ever happened. Obviously, that's true. <laughs> I don't need to say that. <laughs> but Rebbe Khan Wasserman came once fundraising. And on his trip, he visited a friend of his that he had studied with back in Yeshiva. And this friend was no longer religious at that time. And he stayed by, came over to his house, said, please come, called him a chanan. He had a nickname for him, I just can't remember it. Whatever it was. A chanan, right? You know, he wasn't a rabbi to him. He said, come, they sat together. This man was, had done well for himself, was wealthy. And they sat there chatting, schmoozing, you know, and the guy was sort of waiting the whole time for his friend, El Chanan, Rebbe Chan Wasmer, to sort of say what he was doing there. Anyways, they schmoozing, schmoozing. Finally, he says, you know, can I help you with something? So he says, well, perhaps you have somebody uh, in your house that can sew. Yes, of course I have somebody who can sew here. So my my button came off my jacket. Do you think you could get it sewn on? I says, yeah. No, no. Somebody comes in, sews it on. He says, thank you so much. And he gets up and he leaves. Later that night, Rebbe Hanan gets a knock on the door of where he's staying. He opens up and it's his friend standing there. His friend says, Elchanan, I don't buy it. You did not come all the way from Europe to get your button sewn on. So Elchanan said, oh, 
let me ask you something. I said, do you remember the Gemara that we learned, the Talmud that we learned back in Yeshiva, where it says how many he- le- le- layers of heaven there are and how there's 500 years of travel, whatever that means, between each of the heavens. And it's 500 plus 500, thousands and thousands of years all the way to the top. And all the way at the top is where our souls come from. So he said, let me ask you something. I can ask you your question right back to you, my friend. Did your soul travel all these thousands of years to come down here to get a button sewn on? To get a house? Get a car? That's my question for you. Said that went very deep into his friend. And his friend started reconnecting his life because of that. Why? It's simple. Every one of us, wherever we are, nobody's expected to become something that they're not in a moment. Of course not. The question is to take a step in the right direction or to feel like we are in the right place. And what Rebbe Hanan was reminding his friend, what he's reminding every one of us is, do we really think that we came such a far trip just for the little trinkets, for the little things that we find here? Or if we traveled so far, does there need to be something here that is worth that type of trip? Does there have to be something here that can make it all worthwhile? And the answer, of course, is there is. There is something here which is remarkable. And I had a very moving experience this week. I learned with these high school kids. I learned with these high school kids and they struggle. No question about it. They're struggling to identify with all of this, with the idea of growth, with, with everything. So we have this thing. On Fridays, <clears throat> I give out chocolates. Now there's been a motion they would like candy added to the list. You know, I'm sorry, it's not Friday. <laughs> Come to my house on Friday, maybe I'll give you one. Why do I give out chocolates? I don't just give out chocolates. I give out chocolates. I tell them, we, we need to celebrate our accomplishments. And because one of the, the greatest tactics of the HR, one of the greatest tactics that derail us is, you know, like Reb Meilich Biederman said, it's one of the most destructive attitudes a person can have is all or nothing. Or as I think we quoted already from Sima uh, Shah's Rabbi Fran. He got up and he spoke this year at the Sima Shah's and he said, it's not his quote, but he made a speech out of it. Perfect is the enemy of good. Perfect is the enemy of good, right? And so much times in our growth, and when we view this idea that everything we're saying, we're here for a mission, we can be wealthy, we can accomplish, if we just keep our goals in this, and then we start to think, wait, this means like change everything, become somebody totally, disown my house, move into a trailer, right? We start imagining crazy things, which is just total insanity, right? And then we think, well, it's either that or nothing. Well, why do anything less than that? It becomes all or nothing. And we think every little step, what does it mean? And that is all a lie. A total lie of the HR because he knows that if we take a step, then that step is worth billions. 
That one little move, motion, moment of connection is the thing we're here for. It's not something that doesn't look human. It's something that looks really normal. Like us. Just one step forward. Like us, one inch higher. That's what it looks like. That's the mission statement. But we get so derailed, thrown off. We get that. And we have like two options. Either admit to all this and not know what to do with ourselves and be uncomfortable all the time and feel the pressure or just bail on all this. And the answer is no. Embrace this and don't feel pressure. Feel delighted with opportunity because it's so easy to become rich and it's realistic and it's healthy and the second it feels unhealthy, reassess. Because this is delightful. That's why I give out chocolate. Okay. <laughs> I give out chocolate to celebrate. What have we accomplished in this past week? Anything. Tell me something. Tell me something you did. Tell me something that you thought was right and you pushed for. Tell me something wrong that you said no to. Or maybe you just said no to one time. Or maybe you just said no to for five minutes. Just anything. Let's celebrate with chocolate. Anyways. You brought chocolate, right? I bring chocolate every Friday. Do I bring chocolate here? Yes. After I'm getting everyone, I know I'm getting everyone focused on chocolate here, right? They have to tell what, what they do. They do. They do. They tell, although we're, we're open to, you know, if anyone has something that they prefer to keep private, they would. But, you know, right now we're, we're at the, the beginnings of the training. I mean, it's becoming sensitive to the fact that there's something worth celebrating. It's unbelievable how, how we, we're, we're so not adjusted to this. But anyways, so, there's one fellow there who we talk about, and one of the things is, this is a very funny thing. He does something that he actually gets disciplined for, yet he lists it on Friday as an accomplishment. Just appreciate that, okay? Why? Just appreciate how that could be. I don't understand. <laughs> no, no, no. But he, he's right. I actually told him to tell them his perspective. Why? Because... They come to davening, and he doesn't relate to davening. They put on tefillin because it's a mitzvah, but he doesn't want to really. So he does. Now, the way it works is you put on your arm tefillin, and you put on your head tefillin, and we customarily try to always have them on both together. Well, this is the one that everyone can see, and this is the one that's just on your arm. So it's easier to just put on the one on his head. So he just puts on the one on his head. And when you're an adult and you look at that and you're like, come on, right? It's just, you're sitting there anyways, just put on the full thing, right? How hard could it be, right? But honestly, and he's been reprimanded for that. But on Fridays, he puts that as an accomplishment because he says, I really don't want to put on anything. And I'm putting on that. And I told him, that's a true attitude. That's a true attitude, but that's not my point. He's taking his step. Correct. That's not my point. Because he's been doing this for a while. And it's true. Just trying to get us into the headspace of what this business trip is that we're really on. And how to really view it as such. And how beautiful it is in in real life. Uh, Yesterday? What's yesterday? Monday? Yes, Monday. So, Sunday night was the steak dinner. Monday... The boys' high school davened late because they had been up so late doing the steak dinner. And I had davened already. And I walked into the base medrash to get my books to learn. And I walk in and I hear, Rabbi, 
I turn around. It's this boy. He's looking at me. Look back at him. And he goes, sit. He points. And on his arm, or his arm to it. How could it be that I'm getting choked up about something so small? So am I. That's it. Rabbi, they're on. I didn't tell him to put them on. I didn't tell him to put it on. I hugged him. I hugged him. Because that is what this trip is about. That is our destiny. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about climbing and walking out of here wealthy. We're talking about, yes, a high school boy who decides because he's beginning to appreciate that little steps and accomplishments are greatness and are, are what we are doing here. And that it may be uncomfortable or may be a lot of other things pulling at me, but maybe just one morning I'll put them on because I think that that's right. That is a millionaire. That is a successful trip. He will be able to go back and say, I got the contract signed. I did it. I lived the life. I, 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 I embraced the destiny that you set for me, Hashem. The course of greatness and mission that was our life. I am royalty and I remember I'm royalty. You call that royalty? Yes. Because it's easy to not do it. And there's a thousand things. There is Egypt oppressing him and saying, no, you don't feel it. You're not ready. But slowly, 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 so many weeks of only putting on one out of two. So many weeks of doing that which people, anybody watching would say, how pathetic. But he knows inside, wait, that's that's a step. And then, Rabbi, they're both on. And he wanted you to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he had a sense of pride. But that was a better accomplishment because he did it because he, he felt it. I mean, if he was being forced to do it because right. the Rabbi told him to do it and he didn't feel it, then that's that right. wasn't... You know, his glory. Correct. I think this is a, this is a true glorious moment. I'm relating it to ourselves as we, when we walk out of here, you know, relating to the fact that don't you sense that pride that he should have? Don't you feel the greatness of that moment? And I'm saying yet in the eyes of many and on paper and in many ways, it almost seems not. But when you feel the whole picture behind it, you see why that isn't a glorious moment. We don't give ourselves that same picture that we give this scene in front of us. We, we view ourselves in such a fragmented way that we, we, we have so, it's all part of the challenge. The point is to recognize, realize, embrace, do that step and realize that that is the glory and that's a tremendous accomplishment. And then this is our task when we wake up in the morning. Remember, wake up in the morning, roll out of bed and say, I am royalty. I am visiting. This is a nice hotel. I like it. They serve breakfast. Very nice hotel. It's a hotel. It's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful visit. And this world is filled with light. Filled with amazing experiences, amazing people. 
But all those experiences will really light up and will really be everything that they're meant to be when we remember who we are and we start to use it to design and plan our success, our plan of how we're going to come back wealthy, how we're going to live each day connecting with Hashem like the, like he says, every day remember that you need to get out of Egypt. I mean, every day we could have our Sinai experience. Every day we could connect with Hashem. Every day we can overcome that oppression and move another inch. And then when we do that, then we'll be tasting the delicacies of the palace. It won't be the cheap knockoff. And then we'll feel a deep sense of happiness and accomplishment. The wealth can be felt already here, the Nesiva Shalom writes. You don't have to wait for the celebration in the next world. You'll feel the celebration in this world. <laughs> it won't, the party when we come to the next world will we'll knock our socks off. But it begins already here in this world. The more we connect, the more we remember, the more we keep our focus, the more we remember. We hear on business or pleasure, business, which is our greatest pleasure. May we merit, may I personally merit, and you can all come along for the ride, to remember that we didn't travel how many thousands of years to get some ice cream. It's a wonderful world. We've got some business meetings. We've got some golden opportunity. We've got wealth. We've got diamonds to stick in our pockets. And we should all be able to remember our greatness, delight in each day, and the freedom that it offers, the growth that's being given to us, the setting that Hashem has offered for us to fulfill our mission and truly walk out of here great people. May we merit to delight in the accomplishment of new freedom Every single day. Amen. Rabbi, just to clarify, when you made the statement at the beginning that you mentioned going out of Egypt 50 times in the Torah, um, is that like to remind us that of the concept that you just called? Then Steve Shalom is saying it's because, correct, I mean, this is life, this is the, the model of life. Exactly. This mechanism of sacred materials. Right. It's really to keep us on track. Correct. Exactly. That's the mantra. The mantra is, how am I getting out today? How am I getting another step out? Another step towards Sinai? Another step towards redemption? Freedom? Closeness to Hashem? And yeah, 50 times, and every Shabbos you say it, and every holiday you say it, because, and the Shalom even says, those are particularly opportune times to reconnect with it. Particularly, that's why we got a specific, oh, we have a little bit of, of space around us that we can think for a second. Remember, what are we doing here? Remember the mission. And we say it every morning. And we say it, we say it all the time. Every time we say it, every time we say Shema, we mention it. And now this week, we'll read about it. And you know, once they take out the Sefer Torah to read about something, it means that the opportunity to tap into it is particularly present. That there's a spiritual aid because that is coming into the world through the Torah reading. It means that we can reconnect to this purpose and this mission on these these weeks that we're reading this in the Torah more than ever. So the opportunity is now.